You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Hey, everybody, and welcome today. Before we really get going, let me just give you a sneak peek at what's coming up next. Starting next week, we'll be beginning a brand new series here at Mosaic called We Were Made for This. We were made for this, and someone who was none other than the brother of Jesus Christ, someone named James, he picked up pen and parchment in his day in the first century, and he wrote to his culture that was also struggling with suffering. And his message that we were made by God to overcome, that that has rung true that has inspired millions and it's called us to be more than who we are now for centuries. And so if you've never looked deeply into the most practical, down-to-earth, helpful book in the New Testament, the book of James, well, now is your chance and we'll start that next week. Uh, But welcome today to the final week of our series we're in called What's After ATX, where along with hundreds of other churches around the Austin area, we've been looking at life after death through the lens of near-death experiences. And here's why I think we've saved the best for last. Because if you're like most people, at some point you wonder, what's it all for? What's it all for? I don't think most people go around asking the question, what is the meaning of life? I think more people go around asking the question, does life itself have any meaning? Does what we do every day actually matter? And especially in light of the year we're calling 2020 with people getting sick, dying all over the world with beloved businesses being shuttered with family members being separated, people losing their jobs, high school seniors losing their moment in the sun, nursing homes ravaged. I think we should all be asking if we've never asked it before, does what we do even matter? Does our life have any meaning at all? When it's all said and done, does life have any meaning? And countless atheists and brilliant people, they've said, you know what? No, life has no meaning. Somerset Mom, for example, the great British writer, he put it like this. He said, now the answer is so plain, but it is so unpalatable that most men will not face it. There is no reason for life and life has no meaning. Bertrand Russell, another brilliant atheist, said this. He said, the question of life's purpose is meaningless. But Jean-Paul Sartre, a French dude, he actually put it best and most interestingly when he said this. He said, life has no meaning once you lose the illusion of being eternal. Oh, but that's just the thing, isn't it? Humans, we just can't shake that feeling, can we? We can't shake the feeling deep down, even though we may not want it to be there. We may not want it to be true. We can't shake the feeling that we are eternal creatures, that our lives matter forever somehow. We can't seem to shake what Sartre says is fake. But why can't we shake it if it's not true? It's just an illusion. Why do we keep telling stories? Why do we keep making movies and that insist that what we do matters if it's all an illusion? Think about the classic Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life. And I was doing a little research about this movie, and on the majority of the lists I could find that were talking about the top Christmas movies, this one was almost always listed as number one. Now, this movie may not be your favorite. You may not like it. It's all good. But what was most fascinating about this to me was that it was the number one Christmas movie on these websites that were some of the most atheistic I came across, websites that openly mocked 
mock things like God, faith, Jesus, eternity, heaven, morality, right and wrong, but they all still acknowledge that there was something deeply touching, even meaningful about this movie. Why? Well, if you've seen the movie, you know why. It's an unforgettable story. It's all about someone named George Bailey whose life is falling apart, and he considers taking his own life, ending his own life. He wishes he had never been born, till an angel named Clarence shows up and begins to show him in great detail how George's life matters and how it's touched the lives of countless others, what the world would be like if he had never lived. And George Bailey is shown in great detail how much he made a difference uh, by saving the life of his brother, who went on to be a World War II hero, even though George himself suffered for the rest of his life because of the rescue. And George is shown in great detail that because he stood up to these corrupt bankers that he made a difference in the lives of countless poor. And he is shown in great detail that because he simply loved his wife and loved his kids, he made their lives far more meaningful and better. And this changes him when he sees it. And now a whole bunch of people years later who claim there is no meaning in life, they say that is one of the greatest stories our culture has ever told. We keep telling the same story over and over. Uh, Will Smith, for example, he did his best in the slightly sadder version of it called Seven Pounds. And yeah, that one's kind of depressing. But he sets out to see how much his choices matter. Uh, Nicolas Cage kind of does the same in the movie A Family Man. And of course, the granddaddy of all of these is Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Or if you prefer, it's you know Jim Henson's version there for you too. But the truth is, we can't shake the sense that there's meaning in life any more than we can shake the sense that we're, we really are tired at night or hungry during the day. We need food, we need sleep, and we need meaning. You pull that out and life falls apart. And now, as more and more near-death experiences begin to be reported and recorded, do you know what these indie ears describe as the most powerful, the most transforming part of the whole thing? It's something that all those movie characters got in their own way, and it's an experience which confirms that uh, what we want to know most deeply at our core, that our choices make a difference, and that our lives matter more than we could possibly even know. It's the NDE common thread of the life review, where a person experiencing an NDE will be shown their life. They'll be shown all the good, all the bad, in the presence of a being of light and love who holds a book of accounts. And two weeks ago, if you were with us and you heard, you may remember the story of someone by the name of Dr. Howard Storm who died in a hospital in France after his stomach ruptured and he visited hell, was rescued by Jesus and taken to heaven. But what changed his life, he said above all of it, was his life review. And at one point, this being of love and light whom he instinctively knew was Jesus, even though Howard Storm up to this point in his own words was a confirmed intellectual atheist. At one point, Jesus asked him if he wanted to review his life. And Howard agreed. And here is what happened. We're going to take a look at it. He said this, quote, there are these angels in a semicircle around us. I'm being held. I'm now facing the angels with Jesus's arms still around me, holding me. They gave me a life review. Jesus wanted them to play out in chronological order the scenes of my life, moment by moment, life by life, in detail, including knowing, experiencing the feelings of the people that I was interacting with. The entire emphasis was on my interaction with other people. Of course, initially, starting out with my mother and father, my sisters, school and friends. And Howard was shown 
not only the events of his life, but the effects that the choices he made had on those around him and the feelings of those with whom he had interacted. He went on to say, I learned in my life review regarding the relationship with my father that I participated in the breakdown of that relationship as much as he did. He was not a good father to me, and I resented it, and I was angry at him. So I did everything I could subconsciously and sometimes consciously to be as rebellious and cold-hearted toward him as possible which only aggravated him more and made him more of a hostile father. So the things that I had seen in my life where I was the victim and everybody else was the bad guy, I came to find out was a two-way street. My poor mother, because of my dad and I not speaking to each other, we couldn't have much of a relationship. I hardly ever saw her. I had a very poor relationship with my sisters. I had not been a good husband to my wife. The whole emphasis was on people and not on things. As my life progressed, my adolescence into adulthood, I saw myself completely turning away from God, church, all that, and becoming a person who decided that life was all about being the biggest, baddest bear in the woods. As a matter of fact, there were some instances where I had won promotions, honors, awards, and they skipped those things. And I said to Jesus, you're skipping the most important things in my life. This is what I live for, to get this award, Kentucky Artist of the Year, big banquet in my honor and a big cash prize and everything. And he said, that's not what we're here for you to see. It's not important. What I want you to see is how you treated the students. Of course, Like Howard Stone, we're all tempted to put our accomplishments, our life goals, our desires, our accolades before the lives of people. And Howard, though, he received the gift of not only seeing the pain this caused the people around him, but feeling the pain of others. He said this, and now I began to experience Jesus's and the angel's literal pain, emotional pain with watching the sins of my life. I had not been the father to my kids I should have been, and I knew I hadn't because I was busy. I was trying to be somebody. Their football games, the band concerts, the choral concerts, and the theater performances, they could all wait because I was busy being important. I was doing stuff, making myself into somebody. The emotional abandonment of my children was devastating to review. And this kind of thing, it happens over and over and over in life reviews. People are shown in detail, like a Clarence to a George Bailey, these kind of things. Listen, God, he sees, he records, he'll judge every thought and action and deed we do. As Jesus himself said, there is nothing that is concealed that will not be disclosed or it's hidden that will not be made known And yet, and yet those who experience this also report what Howard reported as being the single thing that enabled him to stand underneath the weight of the emotional devastation that he was experiencing. He was experiencing the love of a presence, of a being of love and light who stood with him. The person he swore was a fake and a phony, a person he had ridiculed right up until the moment. He experienced love from that person face to face, the person of Jesus Christ. And in the end, Howard said that experiencing this life review in the presence of Jesus Christ changed him forever. He said, the angel showed me that we do not earn our love of God by the things we do. God's love is given without cost or strings attached. We live lovingly because God loves so much. Thank God there is a way to change our lives and be forgiven our mistakes. Jesus is God's redemptive act for a fallen world. 
Don't you love that? So good, so good. But listen, the life review isn't a person's final judgment. That's not the point. It's just a, a preview of their life, an opportunity to change now, and a preview of the kind of judgment that you and I, all people, will one day face. So let me now, let me t- now, in light of that, take about 60 seconds and teach you about what the Bible calls coming judgment. And then I'm going to try to apply it, maybe in a way that you didn't see coming. So hang with me. Give me a shot. Here we go. Jesus Christ, the New Testament writers, they all tell us there will be two different kinds of final judgment. First, there's the judgment at the white throne of Jesus. That's the judgment each individual will stand before and be judged for whether or not they have trusted Christ as their Savior and Lord in this life right now. Jesus himself puts it like this, Matthew chapter 12. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment. For every empty word they have spoken, for by your words you'll be acquitted, by your words you'll be condemned. Oh, but there's also a second judgment for Christian believers. Theologians call this the Bema Seat Judgment, because Paul writes this, he puts it like this in 2 Corinthians 5. For we must all appear before the judgment or Bema Seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, good or or bad. Now the word bima is the Greek word for the judge's seat, like an Olympic judge would sit in. It's the place that a person would go to to receive their Olympic medal, or in Paul's day, a person, a place that a person would go to to receive their crown for a race was well run. And taken together, these two judgments show us what the life review points to, which is this final incredible truth. These two judgments show us not only who will be rewarded by God, but they show us what will be rewarded by God. What Jesus shows over and over to these people in these NDEs, what he shows us in his word, what I want to try to show you today is that deeds done from love last. Deeds done from love last. Deeds done from love last. Listen, we're not not saved by our deeds alone. We're not saved by our kindness alone. We're not saved by our sincerity alone. No, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone. But these NDEers, Jesus and Paul, over and over, they insist that what matters most to God, what matters most in life, is love. It's love. Because deeds done from love last. You know, I was thinking about this, and as a pastor, my list of stuff that I'm supposed to do is pretty long. Maybe you got a list of stuff that you're supposed to do all the time. You know, I was thinking about it. I'm supposed to preach well, uh, lead well, know everything there is to know about the Bible, about other faiths, show up when your baby is born, call you when you're sick, lead a staff, be a role model, be a good dad, be a good husband, pray, do evangelism, go on mission trips, be an expert in finances and organizational leadership, express spiritual gifts, be able to to speak to every issue of the day when prompted, finally return every email and text and phone call I receive in a timely manner. And of course, all those things are important to do and the stuff you're supposed to do is important to do too, but there's something else. It's more important to be first because, because like Paul said, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have to get the prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries, all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, 
I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but don't have love, I gain nothing. Listen, you and I, we, we've got a better, higher, deeper, richer job description as human beings, not parent, coach, teacher, leader, boss, employee, but one who loves, someone who loves others. And I think that if that's what Jesus wants most from me, then that's what I ought to want most from me. And that's what you ought to want most from you. Let's ask, are you a loving person? Am I a loving person? Would other people describe me as a loving person? Now, that doesn't mean we don't, all, we don't have to agree all the time. It doesn't mean we never experience conflict. It just means that somehow, you and I, for people of love, we experience each other, loving each other through it all. And if you haven't experienced that from me, I just want to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, I am a human being in need of the grace of God. I want you to feel loved by me and by this church, by Mosaic Church, by this community of Jesus. And yes, yes, of course, like the Life Review Show, like the Judgment Show, truth matters. Yes, right and wrong matters. The law of God matters. We cannot call good what God has already called evil. But what matters most is love. And that's why your life matters because you have the chance right now because one day you won't. You've got the chance right now to show people that you love them. You have the opportunity right now because one day you won't to show your spouse you love them, your friends you love them, your siblings you love them, your church, your community, children. You love them. Deeds done from love last. So let me, let me, now in light of all that, give you three ways we can and should do those kind of deeds right now. Three ways we can live this out and apply this. First of all, we're going to go through these. First of all, we can serve the people around us, serve the people around us and when I think about all of you, so many of you, all the people who have served so faithfully at Mosaic over so many uh, years, and maybe you're watching from another, another church today, another country today, we know you're watching, maybe one day we'll get to meet each other. But for those of you who call Mosaic your home and you've faithfully served here over the years, you, you've served those kids in those classrooms, you've parked those cars in the parking lot, you, you've served coffee, you, you've greeted at the door, you've given extravagantly, sacrificially, you've served us the body and blood of the Lord Jesus. I think you are the greatest people in God's kingdom. And one day you will be shown in great detail all the ways in which your choices and actions to serve have ripple effects on the lives of others into eternity. Thank you for serving the church of Jesus. And because we live now in a time that's defined especially not just by a service economy, but by a consumer economy, as in I'll pay what I want to get what I want at the price that I want for the quality I deserve. And that may work fine and well with your internet. But let me tell you, that is not what people are for. People are not for critiquing uh, and condemning uh, and consuming as if they were like a, a walking Yelp review. Churches are not for critiquing and condemning and consuming. Uh, no, people in the church of Jesus are for loving. And the last thing Jesus did for his disciples before he went to the cross was to wash their feet. One day, he said, one day you will understand what I, your teacher, your master, your Lord have done for you. One day you'll get it. That the greatest in the kingdom, my kingdom, is to be the servant 
of all. See, service from love lasts. Second, we can also forgive the people around us. You know what, uh, and again, I was thinking about this. You know what was, was perhaps the greatest gift God ever gave me? Years ago, it was working for someone who belittled me, who humiliated me, publicly shamed me for years. Now, he did this to other people too. I wasn't alone, but I was like his favorite target. I think other people seem to agree. And, uh, and I can remember now, even years later, those those moments of feeling that pain, not understanding what, what was going on, and, you know, sort of thankfully he was fired from his position. But I remember that during that time, grabbing my wife's hand at night and saying and praying, we choose to forgive. And maybe you've had a situation like that, but we prayed, we choose to forgive. And we prayed for the opposite of what we got. We prayed for him to be blessed, him for him to be honored uh, and prospered. And that, that changed us. And here's why doing like that and whatever your kind of situation is, here's why forgiving others in love lasts. It's because it lasts inside you. When you forgive a real wrong, you carry that now around you like gold on the inside and no one can take it away from you. And one day you will be rewarded for that. See, if we only love those around us, how are we different than the pagans? Jesus asked us, if we only respect those who respect us, how are we any different from those who don't know Jesus? Like Paul, when it goes on to say in first Corinthians, he said, love is patient. Love is kind. He doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And the ultimate act of love in living this out was the Son of God on the cross as he's being crucified, praying to forgive those driving the nails. We can serve those around us. We can forgive those around us. Third, finally, we can name the people around us. You know, psychologists say that for, for many people, for most people, the thing that affirms them the most is simply hearing their own name spoken aloud. And, and, and this is incredible because doesn't Jesus say, he does, doesn't he say, I am the good shepherd and I call my sheep by name. I know them by name. I call them by name. Listen, God knows your name because your life matters. And yeah, we're finite. No, we can't know everyone's names, but we can out of love do better. Someone by the name of Steve Shogren, he's a pastor of a large church in Cincinnati. I heard him speak years ago, actually, but he had an NDE, and here's what he said happened in his life review. He was taught about the importance of names. He said, quote, I got the sense that God was going to give me an opportunity to let go of the things that have become idols in my life and allow me to begin to embrace people instead. I was to become the husband and father that I was supposed to be right there in the ICU ward. I realized that I didn't know the names of any of my children's friends. I was to become the employer, neighbor, and friend I was meant to be. Yeah. <laughs> do you know your neighbor's names? And for those of us who are employers, do we know the names of the people who, who work for us? Do we know the names of their children, perhaps? 
Some of us. We can name the starting lineup for our favorite sports teams or the entire cast of our favorite movie or our favorite show, but we don't know the names of the people who live, breathe, and hurt right next to us. And this ought not be. It's like the Apostle John put it, whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they can see cannot love God whom they cannot see, have not seen. And listen, church, I I know this is a lot, but it's what matters most. We are eternal creatures, and that will we'll go on into eternity. Deeds done from love last, so go do it. Everybody, break. You know, love everybody. Just go do it. Good night. Good luck. We'll see you next week. No, of course, we can't. We can't end there. How then can we get the power for all of this to do what matters most? Someone by the name of Jennifer Worth was a a midwife in the east end of London, the poorest part of the city, and she wrote a series of books, which became a series of shows all about her life and experiences. And at one point, she talks about she was at her lowest, and the people she was trying to help and help deliver their babies and take care of their families and babies were just hurting her back out of their own pain and rejection and distrust and small-mindedness. But Jennifer Worth struck up a relationship with an older nun, and she befriended her. And she asked the nun one day who had faithfully served a difficult community for decades how she did it. How does she keep loving people who hurt her despite her sacrificial service to them? Jennifer asked the nun, was it love of people? I asked her. Well, of course not. She snapped sharply. How can you love ignorant, brutish people whom you don't even know? Can anyone love filth and squalor? Or lice and rats. Who can love aching weariness and carry on working in spite of it? One cannot love these things. One can only love God and through his grace come to love his people. I love this because it shows us how we get love to love others. We get it by loving God back. Loving God first. So some of you say, I can hear you saying, how do I do this? Morgan, how does this happen? Listen, Christians for centuries have insisted there is a single key to loving God back. It's by receiving his love first, experiencing his love first, thinking about being filled by his love first, and then giving that love back to him and to others. And the, the first great female writer, arguably in the English language, was an English mystic by the name of Julian of Norwich. And she shows us incredibly how to do this and in her own life. She lay dying on her deathbed. She likely had a near-death experience. She had a series of visions in which she encountered the love of God. It changed her from the inside out. And this is what she discovered. This is what I am beginning to discover. And this is what I hope and pray that you discover. She wrote this, for we are so preciously loved by God that we cannot comprehend it. No created being can ever know how much and how sweetly and tenderly God loves them. It is only with the help of his grace that we are able to persevere in spiritual contemplation with endless wonder at his high, surpassing, immeasurable love, which our Lord in his goodness has for us. I learned a great lesson of love in this blessed vision. For of all things, contemplating and loving the Creator made my soul seem less in its own sight and filled it with reverent fear and true meekness and with much love for my fellow Christians. Church, we cannot run from God and we cannot hide from God, but we can come to discover 
through the mercy of the cross of Jesus that we are loved by God and we can give that away. We can serve those around us. We can forgive those around us. We can name and know those around us. And as we do that, we can learn that life matters because love matters. And we may even come to discover the reality and the experience and the beauty of the final words of St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13. As he writes this, he says this, but these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Church, let me pray for you today as we begin to close. Father God, we come in Jesus' name and we thank you for your great love for us. And I pray now that each person hearing this, watching this, thinking about this would experience your great love. Each person hearing this would know, but come to know how preciously they are loved by you. And out of that, they would give that away. Lord, help us to live lives of love in light of eternity. And I pray for us to come to know this and to give this away in increasing ways as individuals, as families, homes, as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.